Greetings, everyone. Welcome to By Every Word. Today, Lalitha and I, this is Lauren speaking with you, are joining you to look at Acts chapter 25. Lalitha, how are you doing in California this evening? I am doing just fine, Lauren, and I'm sure you are doing just as well in Hawaii. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're a little after two in the afternoon here, and the roosters are going like crazy. I was sitting downstairs in the carport um, trying to, you know, uh, prepare for our time today. And yeah, I had chickens coming at me and then I was a dog for a little while. And yeah, it's, it's a different life here. It's a very country, which is fun. It's fun. We we head back on Thursday. So it's going to be strange to come back to San Jose after a month, but uh, it's a good reminder. Um, You know, the Lord, has created such a beautiful world and so many Mm -hmm. fascinating things. Mm -hmm. It's nice to be able to slow down a bit and be in the country in Hawaii. So, all right, well, let's go ahead and um, we're going to go into chapter 25. Um, You know, as we go through these particular chapters, especially right now, there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of formality. There's a lot of um, things that are happening in sequence, but um, as we'll see, you know, the Lord wants us to learn from his word and the Lord speaks to each one of us uh, about certain things. And um, I know for Lilitha, I already shared with Lilitha before I, something came up for me and I'll be sharing that a little bit. Um, It was an impression on my heart about just a warning for us, but, but we'll go ahead and walk through this with you. um, And hopefully this will be a blessing and edifying to us all. Um, So at the end of chapter 24, if you remember, Felix left Paul uh, bound, and he was he was there for two years uh, under house arrest. And uh, we did look at how um, Fest, uh, Felix had greatly mismanaged um, his his governorship, and he was removed from his position. Um, he was accused of mismanagement by the Jews. Um, Josephus records that he was replaced because his troops had basically killed many Jews while intervening in civil strife between Jewish and Gentile factions in Caesarea. Um, There were some other things that he did as well. And so Nero removed him um, and he was banished to Gaul. And so we have Festus coming on the scene to take over uh, the governorship. And um, Josephus, uh, the historian, gives a little bit of a contrast uh, in in terms of his character, just a little bit, we find out. Otherwise, we don't really have a lot of information about Felix, um, I mean, excuse me, about Festus. But his term of office um, was sometimes supposedly around 59 to 60 AD. And then he he only had a very short term because he died. Um, it, was, it was probably concluded in AD 62, is what we're thinking. We don't have the exact dates on that. Um, but... Um, Festus, uh, in comparison to, um, Felix, apparently he was more temperate, um, and he was more reasonable. Um, he was also more reasonable than the one who was going to succeed him. I guess governors could be rather harsh. Um, some things that he did that were good. Um, Josephus talks about how he really took care of the Sakari bandit problem. Remember those who carry daggers and tried to kill people in crowds? They also were roaming the countryside, plundering and burning villages. And um, so Festus found out where they were hiding in the wilderness and he sent his soldiers and they killed many of them. So he did that to keep the peace. Um, also, um, Festus was trying really hard. He had a big mess to clean up. If you think about it, because Felix had left a mess. Um, there was a lot of law and uh, lawlessness and disorder because of the way he mismanaged his governorship. And so, Um, Festus was coming into a bad situation and he was trying to make it better. Um, So he was, uh, at the start of his term, he was trying to win the favor of the leading Jews in his constituency. Um, And as we see, um, he arrives briefly, um, probably to be appointed and get installed uh, in Caesarea. And it says three days later, he goes up to Jerusalem where he spends some time eight to 10 days with the chief priests and principal men of the Jews, those who are in authority. Of course, those are the ones who are going to carry and sway 
uh, all the other folks. And so um, they first try then to get him to bring Paul up to them. Obviously, they want to kill him. This is this is their main aim. Um, they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Um, we've seen this again and again and again, haven't we, Lalitha? It's yeah. it's their absolute sole focus. It is amazing that they can be useful for anything else, but uh, plotting murder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty incredible. So um, what Festus does is that he he basically says, um, you know, well. I am going to go back to Caesarea. If you guys want to come along with me, you can you can bring your charges against Paul there. Um, so that is what he that's what he does. He stayed with them for a while, um, probably having dinner and all kinds of other things. And then in verse six, it says he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought. Then the Jews arrived, would come from Jerusalem, and they stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. And then we see Paul offers his defense. Just something about the legal process, because this is one of those examples, that, and there are not that many that are actually recorded about the legal process during this time. So this is an example of what this was like. Um, there apparently were three things that were needed um, that were always true of these kinds of proceedings. First, there was um, a free formulation of charges and penalties, so they were bringing out what the issues were. Then there was a formal act of accusation by the particular interested party. Obviously, this is the Jews, um, and that was required. And the other thing is the cases were heard by the governor in person. As he sat on his tribunal, and here we have him, it says in verse 6, he took his seat on the tribunal, and the governor was assisted by uh, his concilium, which was an advisory cabinet or a council or a, uh, a bunch of counselors composed of friends, officials, or even family members. And we see later on in verse 12, I believe it is, that he does confer with his counselors. So this is a really a formal trial that is happening according to um, the procedures that were supposed to be set in place at that day. Um, so we also see later, and just to, just, to, just to make a comment about later, Agrippa enters the picture, um, and there's a hearing that is similar in the way it is done, but it is not a trial. Um, once Paul appealed to Caesar, that was it. There could be no trial by, by the governor anymore or by, the, by King Agrippa because he had appealed to Caesar. It was now moved out of um, his hands. So once it was moved out of the hand, the law forbade any magistrate to kill, to to um, to threaten, to torture, to chain, or even sentence a Roman citizen. So Paul was not able to at that point. Um, so one of the things that's interesting is that when they appealed um, after Paul argued his defense, he basically said, this is the same thing in verse 8 that we've heard before. He, he hasn't broken the law of the Jews. He hasn't done anything against the temple, and he hasn't done anything against Caesar. Um, he has not committed any offense, um, which is true. We know it's true. He is righteous, and the wickedness of these Jews and their hatred is because of their sin, not because of any sin that Paul has committed. So, But it says in verse 9 that Festus wished to do the Jews a favor. Does this sound familiar? Uh, And he says to Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on the charges before me? Now, here's an interesting thing, because um, Paul knew that if Festus were to release him to the Jews, the Jews would kill him, first of all. If they didn't manage to kill him, but he was to have a trial in Jerusalem still under Festus. But if the Sanhedrin were their ones here on their home turf fighting for their laws, that he was also going to be doomed because Festus did not know, as we see in this passage, he did not know the laws of the Jews. He did not understand them. He did not know about Christianity. Um, he was at a loss, it said at one point, and he didn't know what he was going to even say uh, in his letter to, to Nero about charges. So he needed to gain information. So if Paul was released to the Jews to go on trial in Jerusalem, Paul knew that perhaps they the, meaning the Sanhedrin, could even act as counsel to Festus about their laws, about whatever it is, uh, and he would be doomed there as well. 
So there was, this was like, should I turn you over to the sharks and let them have you? I mean, that's kind of the question that it was being asked. So Paul says in verse 10, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I've done no wrong, as you yourself very well know. If then I'm a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, he takes the very righteous stance here. If I'm guilty, then yeah, punish me. If I, I don't escape. I don't want to escape death if I'm guilty. If mm-hmm. I'm guilty, you, you, mm-hmm. you may put me de- to death. But if there's nothing to the charges against me that the Jews are bringing, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Mm-hmm. What he does here um, is the Roman citizen had the right to uh, to be tried according uh, in to a, a Roman tribunal, and he could appeal to serve to uh, Caesar. It was called a, and I don't speak Latin very well, but it's called a provoc, provo, okay, here we go, provocatio uh, ad Caesarium. Um, so that's what he did. Um, he went ahead and he appealed. Um, if there was a trial that wasn't going the way that you wanted, or if you felt like you were not going to get a fair trial, this is something that you could do. Um, it's like appealing to the Supreme Court, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what he that's what he he did. Um, as we know, it's Nero who is is the emperor at this time, and we all know that that Nero was horrible to the Christians. So we're kind of like, why would he do a thing like this? But apparently. Um, in the first five years of Nero's rule, he was much more temperate. He apparently had better counselors around him. And um, so he wasn't as much of a threat at this point in time. So um, he was considered more wise and just. So um, then Festus, when he conferred with his council, he answered and says, well, to Caesar, you have appealed to Caesar, you shall go. Now, one of the things that came up when I was pondering this is the horrible state that these Jewish leaders were in and the horrible state that many of us in are in when we give in to anger or hatred, anything that develops in us um, mm-hmm. such a seething, controlling emotion that we can't even think straight. You know, there's, there's a lot of danger of allowing hate to abide in us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when we emote, when we let that kind of emotion welcome it into our thoughts um, to consume us, it can send those deep roots into our heart. Scripture warns us about that. Jesus warned mm-hmm. us about that. Mm-hmm. We're not even to entertain anger, let the sun go down because we don't want a root of bitterness to grow up and the, to give the devil an opportunity. So mm-hmm. we cannot really love God if we hate one of those people who he loved and died for. And so this is another scripture uh, is talking about not hating your brother. Um, God himself by his word in his character in Jesus example forbids these things. Leviticus 19. And we looked at one of these verses last week um, in regard to not bringing uh, not abusing court, right? Leviticus nineteen fifteen to 19. It says, you shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness, you shall judge your neighbor. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people. And as we see, they're bringing false accusations. They are trying to tear his character down and they're trying to make him guilty of things that he did not do. Um, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. They're trying to take his life. They're plotting his to do this. Mm-hmm. Verse 17, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. Mm-hmm. And this is exactly what we see. But you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Mm-hmm. And these folks were sinning in their heart because mm-hmm. they had an opinion and an attitude toward Paul that was wrong. Mm-hmm. It was hateful. It was disobedient to what God's word had said. And this is the Old Testament law I'm just reading right now. They knew this. Mm-hmm. They were guilty according to God's law, mm-hmm. the law that they knew and they were mm-hmm. claiming to uphold. Verse 18, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, I'm mindful from the first example of murder. You remember Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. What was it? First John 3 talks about that. This is verse 10 through 12. 
But this is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. These rulers were clearly demonstrating who their father was. Remember, Jesus was just used to tell them. Uh, they said, you know, our father Abraham or God is our father. And he's like, no, you're of the father, your father, the devil, because mm-hmm. you're doing the works of your father and your, the, your works are evil. They are of the devil. Verse 11 of First John 3 says, for this is a message you've heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? And here, this is what we see exactly here. Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Mm. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. That was verse 15. In First John 5, 20 and 21, he says, If anyone loves God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, who he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So hatred, envy, darkness, uh, the darkness hates the light. And here Paul's deeds were righteous. And the self-righteous Jewish brethren hated him with great envy. They've been living and breathing death to Paul, haven't they? Yeah. They were designated spiritual leaders of the people. The people were looking at them to lead and this is what they were being shown they'd given their hearts and minds to hate and it consumed them and that made them basically enemies of god's name and his purposes they weren't representatives as they had claimed um so any thoughts on that Lolita? you are so right uh, lauren because it's like when people's hearts and minds are filled with hatred it literally blinds them Yes, they, they, they could have read whatever parts of scripture they wanted to read. And even if they read those portions of scripture that you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago, they would have glossed over it because, you know, they, they would have convinced themselves, no, but we are justified in our um, trying to get rid of Paul because he is going against our law and we value our law even above life. And, you know, so it, it shows not just the hatred uh, and the sin thereby in their hearts, but also Satan's capacity to deceive. Yes. Um, that he, he, makes, uh, he, he makes people so believe a lie that um, it, it's so, and it so blinds them that, uh, that they are not even uh, convinced that killing a person, even in the name of religion, is wrong. Right. Right. And if you think about it, when Jesus taught about this, um, mm. it's not a matter even of doing the deed of killing someone. Mm-hmm. You can be guilty of murder in your thoughts. Mm. So, you know, that brings it to a whole nother level. That's kind of where I went with this. You know, I thought there is, there is no way that we can live righteous in Christ on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, and the devil, like you said, he's out to deceive. Mm-hmm. And when we allow him to plant even a seed of anger mm-hmm. or hurt, you know, mm-hmm. if we take offense at something, mm-hmm. um, then then it, it can create that root of bitterness that will grow deeper and deeper into an envy and a hatred like we see here. That is absolutely the work of the devil. And it's a trap. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking about this and I remembered a time a number of years ago. I was a believer and I had young kids. The girls were young and long story short, I was away from home with my mom and my brother. We were actually looking at some property. She was looking to buy property in South Lake Tahoe. And I had a conversation with my brother in a parking lot and it started, I don't even remember how it started, but he started bringing some comments up about my, my, my kids behavior and how his girlfriend thought that I had, been a bad mom or I had, you know, I shouldn't learn to get them more. So it was, it was complete ignorance on their part because they don't have, there's no kids. They, he'd never had his own kids, but I got so upset and offended being accused that, that my kids were wound up and too excitable. Well, I mean, they were like really young. And when you work, when you play with a kid, you can get them pretty wound up. Right. And that's what was happening. And what happened was I got so angry 
and so hurt. And I was trying so hard to defend myself. And I, I was being, it was like I was being nailed to the wall and accused of stuff and a horrible person. And I got so upset and he was so mad. Words were exchanged that were not kind and were not right. And in my anger, I I may have spoken some truth, but I did not do it with a right attitude or heart. I was so upset that I thought, I'm never going to talk to him again. We're not talking anymore. We're done. And this is my brother. And I, for a month, was consumed with such offense and anger and hurt. And I had a friend. I have a friend. Um, her name is Jean. And I talked to her about it. And she, she intervened and said to me, you're the Christian. You're the one who's given to take the step for forgiveness. You're the one who has to reach out. You can't expect him to do it. It's not his responsibility. It's yours. Mm-hmm. And she reminded me of who I am in Christ and who I am called to be as his disciple and his ambassador. Um, you know, we were called his priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Um, well, I was not acting like any of that. You know, I have a responsibility that goes beyond my feelings. Um, myself got stirred up and offended. It turned to anger and stubborn refusal to forgive. I got so worked up, Lilith, it was awful. Um, and I let it consume me for about a month. Um, you know, it's, if you remember, it's the love of Christ that's supposed to compel us, but I was being compelled with anger and I I thought about it. What is it that caught me? What does the devil do to get us like this? Because we can talk about the problem we have, but how do we get out of it? And this is what I, this is what I think it is. I had allowed the old self, the old flesh self to rise up in that moment. And it stopped the love of Christ and the work of Christ in my heart. I chose to be offended, okay? If the old self is dead and buried and crucified with Christ, which is the truth, mm-hmm. and I let the devil stir it up, mm-hmm. and I'm not reckoning it, reckoning it dead, which is my portion to do. Mm-hmm. I am letting the old self get offended. Yeah. Dead, Something that is dead and laying on the ground cannot be provoked to life. Mm-hmm. If you're, it, it, there's not supposed to be any response, but mm-hmm. I had let that happen. And I thought about how Christ has, Christ has crucified the self along with its power over us. Mm-hmm. Romans 8, 6, 6 and 7 says this, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin since a person who has died is free from sin. So The truth is we're no longer slaves to sin. We don't have to sin when we're tempted. Everyone who's not redeemed by Christ has a master. They're they're bound in sin. That's their natural response. That's what they do. They sin. But we don't have to sin when we are tempted anymore. Christ has cut those bonds from our old master. We are no longer compelled to go where Satan wants us to go. We're yoked with Jesus. But the key is that we have to continue to reckon that old nature dead. Mm. That means being really aware that that's something we need to do. Mm. Um, And I think the temptation Satan uses, it's always directed at the old flesh nature, Mm. right? Because something that is something that is righteous, it can't be, he can't accuse us and win when it's something righteous. But if it's something that is not, he can grab hold. We are guilty of it. So the flesh is what he stirs up. So mm-hmm. if he can get us to momentarily forget what Christ did mm-hmm. so that we don't stand firm in what he did, then we may let the old self be stirred up to respond to temptation, to lust, to a hurtful word, like I, in my example, to anger or to take an offense. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's me, my rights, you mm-hmm. see. But Christ laid down his rights. We're to lay down our rights mm-hmm. and, and, and follow him. So we can't totally be falling victim to this in a lot of different degrees. And it's a trick. Like you said, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And um, he will tear at relationships, mm-hmm. not just with us, with one another, but with the Lord mm-hmm. Jesus himself. He wants to get in the way mm-hmm. um, because we know that if we have hate in our heart or anything against our brother, you know, um, we're not being an example. We're not loving. And we're not showing Jesus to other people. Um, so we also know that God does not forgive. He says in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about if you haven't, if your brother has anything against you, you need to go patch that up first. 
yeah. before you cry and try to offer anything to mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Um, that was from Matthew chapter five, um, you know, his sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yeah, um, there's, I, I don't know. It's yeah, so important. Uh, sorry, Lord, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, 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 go ahead. But, uh, I feel like what you shared is so important and so relevant because we all go through it. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. In, in various degrees, in different, uh, different circumstances, different emotions. And sometimes in the heat of the, uh, of the moment, uh, the fact that we are, um, we are dead with Christ, we died with him on the cross, those are not the thoughts that come to our mind when we want to deal with the situation yeah. in the biblical way. And these are not like a high-flown kind of uh, philosophical things. Oh, that's a nice thing to do. No, it is the truth. Mm-hmm. It's the biblical truth. And this is what Jesus accomplished. But uh, it is uh, to, to, the, to the degree that we apply the truth in practice is to the is the degree that we will uh, overcome uh, you know that we will get the victory amen amen yeah that's a good word um you know i was thinking about how it is that we can be more intentional about this because you're right we have to be on the alert for this it happens it happens in a second we can we can react and it's done it's already happening in our heart and mind um and first john um Lead, it has a lot of wisdom in this. First John 1, I wrote this down, uh, 5 to 12. Now, this is a familiar passage. A lot of us are familiar with this, but in connection to this topic, mm. um, like we were just saying, I think it's important to remind ourselves um, of who God is and what he's done, mm. and then what we're what he, he has for us to do to stay in that place. Mm. Um, this, is about, um, this is about God is light. Uh, and holiness and truth. Um, this is verse 5 to verse 12. This is the message we've heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. That's truth. There is no darkness in him. Verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, meaning with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. We have fellowship with one another mm-hmm. and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sin. Now we know that his blood covers all of our sin. That's past, present and future. Right. Mm-hmm. But we need to continually to bring every sin to Christ to remain clean. This mm-hmm. is like a continual thing. This is not something we do once and we're done. And I think this is the key to mm-hmm. dealing with this issue that we have um, is that we have to stay in right relationship with him. Um, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. I've read this a bunch of times, but when I was just reading this in, in regard to this lesson, it made a deeper impact because how often... Do we, when we feel like we don't have any big sin in our life, say, oh, I don't have sin that I need to confess right now, okay? If we remember that God is holy and he is pure light, how dare we think we don't have darkness? This is what this is saying. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar because we know that we walk impartial understanding of 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 the darkness and we can get caught up in it and our friends get caught up in it and when we have the same problem oh oh yeah i have an issue with a friend of mine or i have um i have you know i'm really upset about this mm-hmm. that even those normal things in conversation are giving ground to the enemy because if i choose to remain upset and grumble and grumble and grumble over a certain thing we're not supposed to grumble according to scripture. We're not supposed to be complaining because Mm -hmm. that means we're complaining about something that God is allowing in our life, or maybe we've caused a problem. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's, there's a level where we continue to walk in the light by letting the Holy spirit show us that darkness that's in us Mm -hmm. so we can come and confess it. So we can seek the Lord's Mm -hmm. forgiveness and cleansing. We, it's a matter of being in his presence. If he is light and in him, there's no darkness at all. When we abide in his presence, he's going to show us those things. 
the Holy Spirit's going to bring that conviction. So we can walk in the truth, in the light, in that holy place with him. Um, you know, Hebrews 4 talks about, on verse 13, no creatures hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. That's that's kind of a wake up. Do you remember Isaiah when he was brought into the presence of the Lord? I think it was in Isaiah 6, 5. His response was, oh, woe is me. I'm undone. Mm-hmm. Because when he saw the glory of the Lord in the Lord's presence, mm-hmm. he saw all of his sin, how wicked he was, and the mm-hmm. people that he was part of were wicked. You know, he was aware of his uncleanliness because mm-hmm. of the brightness and the light of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, if Christ died for us to be able to live free and um, forgiven in him, this is the place he wants us to dwell in. And if we're going to be salt and light, like he calls us to be salt and light, um, then we need to walk like he did. And his example of walking righteous in complete communion with the Father all the time um, by the power of the Spirit and loving others so that they can see God, that's what he wants for us. But like we just shared, you and I, we know, and you ladies, you're, it's easy for us to wander into darkness, into shadow, and we don't even know we're doing it half the time. So what can we do? to abide in the light and not be caught by the enemy. And, you know, I thought scripture along with Jesus example says we need to stop being so entangled with the things of the world. Stop stop running the tyranny, the urgent, which is what we all do. We go from place to place trying to get stuff done Mm -hmm. um, to be and do different things. And Jesus always continually calls us abide in me, abide in me, walk in the light, Um, sit at my feet. You remember Mary did this. It's the good part. It's not going to be taken away to listen to him, hear his word, keep his word, that presence of God. That is how we do it. Um, Abiding is also how we have that perfect peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and minds. And I think that's what gets me about you, Lalitha. But when something shakes my peace, I can tell that my my flesh is being touched. I don't know if that's true for you. Yeah. So it's important to keep our eyes on Jesus, to cling to him. Um, I was mindful of a couple verses. I know I'm giving you a lot of verses, ladies, but I think this is super important. Mm-hmm. Isaiah 26, 3, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Mm-hmm. The word to stay, to be stayed, like your mind stayed on you is sabak. It means to lean or lay something upon anything so that it may rest upon and be supported by it. So our mind needs to stay on the Lord, to rest upon and be supported by keeping focus on the Lord. Psalm 63, 8 says, my soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. The idea is clinging staying so close in the presence of God that that nothing is going to shake the peace, Mm -hmm. that we won't be deceived by the enemy to be shaken and have our flesh aroused to respond or react in sin. Um, You know, Paul's soul was clinging to Jesus. His mind was fixed on the Lord. He had the peace of Christ ruling in his heart and mind so he could hear what God was saying and he could trust to trust God and do what God was telling him to do. This was true in this situation. He had calm. He was standing righteous before God and he had to defend self, but he did not have to do much to do that. He was not guilty. Um, He was also in love with Jesus. And I think that's something that's important. Abiding in relationship with the Lord in his presence allows us to have that love of God for other people and to love God more and more. Um, so he shown Jesus so brightly that the darkness targeted him and was trying to extinguish that light, but they could not do it because we know that's not possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I'm think I'm mindful of, uh, how we're supposed to be the light that people see Jesus. You know, they look at us and they see Jesus. They don't mm-hmm. see us. And if fresh flesh is, uh, reckoned dead, then, then that can happen in us. Mm-hmm. So. Anyway, any thoughts on that before we let you continue, Lily? I feel like I've gone gone way deep here. Yeah, no, I think I uh, carry on with my portion. Sure, sure. We're at verse 13 now. Yeah, verse 13. Uh, oh, yep. Yeah. And Agrippa, if you want any more, if you want more details on Agrippa, I dug into him a lot. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe, yeah, maybe you could uh, talk about Agrippa or what do you 
Okay, yeah, because we, we, yeah, you're going to talk about Agrippa uh, and Bernice, they came um, to visit, because we know Festus was a new governor, this happened a lot, you know, dignitaries would come and visit, and so that's what he happened. Um, just briefly, we know Herod Agrippa II uh, was the brother of Drusilla, who we we met last week, uh, also the sister of Bernice, who he is, who is accompanying him, um, and he was the son of the King Herod, who killed James. Um, and the one who was eaten by worms. Um, he's also the seventh and last king of the Herodian dynasty. He ruled over several minor, mostly Gentile territories, and he didn't have jurisdiction over Judea or Samaria, but this, as, as you're going to get into, Latitha, uh, he was very familiar with Jewish ways and even Christianity, so um, he was going to be invaluable to Festus to determine more about this uh, in, in talking to the emperor uh, about Paul and his appeal. Um, but just, just one point, um, Agrippa was given a lot of power over Jewish religious affairs by Claudius. He was given custodianship of the temple and the authority to appoint the high priest. Uh, and this created a lot of strife during his, uh, two, uh, during, during, uh, Festus time and beyond, because he would appoint priests that were not, uh, necessarily the right fit. And they weren't, qualified in certain ways, and it created strife between Pharisees and Sadducees. Um, there was also another uh, quarrel, just to make mention of Agrippa. Agrippa was abiding in the palace uh, that looked over the temple in mm-hmm. Jerusalem, and he apparently built onto that in such a way that he could look at the court where they were offering sacrifices, and the priests mm-hmm. got very upset. So they started building a wall that was higher mm-hmm. to block his view, and he complained and wanted that torn down, and Festus agreed with him, but the Jews appealed to Nero, and Festus allowed them to do that, and they won their case. Um, but uh, yeah, interesting characters we've got. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, so ju- just to reiterate um, the, the background of Acts 25, you know, Paul had been unjustly kept in prison for two years, and Festus is the new governor who followed Felix. Festus was different from Felix. We know relatively little about him, but what we do know proves that he was a just and upright man, or at least he tried to be. Um, he's a Roman and was determined to carry out Roman justice and gives Paul a chance to defend himself. And he did so before Agrippa and Bernice, and um, Lauren just gave you some background about Agrippa. Uh, he knew also that he would not get a fair, that Paul would not get a fair trial in Jerusalem, and so he appeals to Caesar. The way Luke describes Paul's request as an appeal to be heard by Caesar shows that he was asking not only for a removal from a Roman provincial tribunal to the imperial court, but also for protection during the process. And this uh, brings to my mind that even though Paul had been uh, you know, unjustly kept in prison for two years, the Jews' hatred against him and their desire to kill him did, was not abated. You would think, okay, you know, time will let some of the things, you know, bygone be bygone, or, you know, they will be a a little abated in their uh, hatred and anger against him. But no, they were still determined and they were out to, you know, out to get him and out to to kill him. And so um, the religious leaders hoped Festus would decide against Paul without ever hearing Paul's defense. As stated in verse 15, they asked for a judgment against him. Uh, And then in verse 18, uh, when the accusers were allowed to have their say, Festus was surprised by their uh, accusations because they were not what he would have thought worthy of even being brought to this point in the process. They, uh, the Romans being the ruling kingdom, would want to know of any subjects, Jewish or otherwise, who, are, uh, who were engaged in any plot against the king or the ruling authorities. Instead, Festus said, the Jewish council, along with others, brought accusations regarding their religious beliefs, and they accused Paul of preaching that Jesus, who they had believed to be dead, was indeed alive. And they were hoping that the governor would make Paul stop preaching that. And then we see in verse 19, um, the words, a certain Jesus. And 
by saying that uh, Festus, um, it shows that Festus didn't know much about Jesus. It is good to remember that the great and important people of Paul's day didn't know much about Jesus and they have to be told. This is why even in our day, uh, we must keep on preaching Jesus Christ because he is still so little known. Even though, uh, you know, if you have to sometimes ask the average person on the road, you know, what, uh, what do you know about Jesus? They might just know, you know, somebody um, who was uh, crucified or, um, or even about Christmas or just a little, you know, he's the God of the Christians. But that's all they really don't know. What he what he stands for, what he came to do, mm-hmm. and how liberating um, having him in our lives can be. So this um, this showed me how important it is that we still keep uh, pre- still keep preaching Jesus Christ because um, because the the truth about him is so is so relevant even today. Uh, the masses of the city are as ignorant of Jesus as Festus was. The limited knowledge Festus did have regarding Paul's preaching shows that in his preaching, Paul emphasized the death and resurrection of Jesus. We, having just celebrated Good Friday and Easter, are reminded again of the sacrifice our Lord Jesus made on Calvary and that his death and burial are not the end of the story, but he was gloriously raised from the dead. And I'm reminded of the verse in Romans 8.11, where it states, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And I find that so mind-blowing to think that the very power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Mm-hmm. So if at any point, like you were, uh, you know, talking so, um, and thanks for sharing that personal um, incident you had with your brother, you know, and, and sometimes we feel like we are powerless to meet uh, challenging situations. And I, especially if they are, they have been ongoing and if the, Situations keep uh, coming up again, and the emotions keep coming up again. We feel powerless. But verses like this, and I, verses like this, if we keep on, um, if the revelation of the verse really gets us, really, uh, and we really understand it within our spirits, it, you know, we can say, "Thank you, Lord, that your resurrection power is available to me, and I'm going to access that resurrection life and that resurrection power." Mm-hmm. to deal with whatever it is that mm-hmm. I'm facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, yeah, I, I, when you were talking about how people don't know about Jesus mm-hmm. and then what you just shared about his power in us, mm-hmm. you know, that just spoke to me again about walking as children of light because mm-hmm. not only do people not know of Jesus, but now as we see a lot of people have the wrong idea of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They right. they have an idea of Jesus, right. but it's not the right idea of Jesus. Right. Right. And so when we walk as children of light and those mm-hmm. who uphold the truth by our life and speak it mm-hmm. by his power and, of course, in love, mm-hmm. um, then, then hopefully they will see the true Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, because um, the wrong, that's another trick of the enemy, isn't it? He gets he gets the reputation of God is not the right reputation if his right. people don't uphold the reputation of God mm-hmm. in our life and in our words, our actions, then mm-hmm. other people are encouraged to reject the Lord mm-hmm. and to speak evil and to do evil against God's people. And as we know, that's kind of what the enemy really wants to happen. Mm-hmm. So good point. But the power of Christ Jesus in us can allow us to walk as children of light. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Lolita. And then uh, we see in verse uh, 22, Agrippa's curiosity, you know, because Agrippa said, uh, you know, bring in this Paul. I myself want to hear him. So <clears throat> his curiosity meant uh, that Paul would have another opportunity. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
would have another opportunity to speak God's truth to a Gentile ruler. It, you know, um, we, as we've been going through Acts, we've seen that Paul has had the opportunity to present Christ before so many audiences. Mm-hmm. And here yet again, he is, uh, you know, before uh, he's being given the chance to present his case before Agrippa and, uh, you know, for Agrippa to hear him personally. And uh, so at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. He was surrounded by the important and powerful people of Caesarea and beyond. Uh, and Paul came into the auditorium. All the pomp and pageantry was meant to communicate who was important and who wasn't important. Most everyone present, excepting possibly the Apostle Paul, was wrong in their estimation of who was important and who was not. Paul had an authority and a dignity greater than any of the important people at this hearing. Mm-hmm. And all these very important people would have been greatly surprised and not a little scandalized could they have foreseen the relative estimates that later generations would form of them and of the prisoner who now stood before them to state his case. Even the fact that Paul said, you know, I want to appeal to Caesar, he could have very well said, okay, I will, you know, let it stay with the, with the lower courts and let them decide my fate. But that, you know, the bigness of God inside him said, no, I'm going to go right to the top. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and if you remember, he also knew God said, "You will go before me. You will testify yeah. in Rome." He right. knew that was going to happen. Right. Um, so this was that was part of that process. Mm-hmm. But isn't it amazing? You're going to be, you are going to be speaking before kings and rulers, and here we mm-hmm. have so many very important people, not just King Agrippa and Bernice, but we have the military tribunes and the prominent men of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so he he really was given such an audience that could not have happened in any other way. Mm-hmm. Powerful. And then when we um, just end this chapter from uh, verses 24 through 27, uh, he says, when I, when I found he had uh, committed nothing deserving of death, <laughs> death, it was important for Luke to record these words of Festus. They clearly state that Festus understood that Paul was innocent. There was yep. no doubt about it yep. at all. So that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. Festus wanted to use this trial to prepare an official briefing for Paul's upcoming trial before Caesar. Mm-hmm. Festus simply couldn't send Paul to Caesar and say, hey, this prisoner wants to be you know, um, judged only by you. Yeah. Caesar would have said, you know, What's wrong with you? You send just anybody and everybody to me and me to to deal with all these cases. There has to be something really valid and something important um, for me to be the the, the judge of this case. So Festus uh, simply couldn't send Paul to Caesar with a letter and said, I really don't know what this man is accused of. And he's probably innocent of any wrongdoing, but I thought I should send him to you anyway. That'll go over well. (laughs) That was no way to be popular with Caesar. And we have to remember Festus was relatively new in his position as governor. So, you know, he wanted to keep the Jews happy. He wanted to keep, um, you know, all the all the Roman officials happy. And um, and then it, it said, it seems to me unreasonable to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So Paul was so innocent that Festus could not actually describe or specify the charges against him. Yep, yep, and yeah, he he had a tough letter to write. Um, kind of like you know, Pilate, I mm. wash my hands. This man is innocent, even yeah. what he put on the cross. You know, right. it's uh, it's fascinating that right. these things bear up the yeah. innocence yeah. and the purity of God's representatives. Right, uh, right. and here they are, not only in history, but they are God testifying. Mm-hmm. on behalf of the righteousness of his people, Amen. which yeah. is a beautiful yeah. thing. One other thing that, that comes to me, just like, like you talked about the spirit of hatred and how it can really blind a person's heart, um, uh, it also shows up the, uh, 
the accusatory nature of Satan. You know, is he's he's the accuser of the brethren. Yes, and he he's doing that even in this day and age in our time. Mm-hmm. He never stops accusing people, uh, and and especially uh, the children of God, because he knows that if um, if he cripples them in their uh, in their spirits, then they it'll be difficult for them to rise above that to be strong and victorious and to be talking so, um, you know, positively and so, um, uh, you know, to uh, encouraging people about the gospel when they mm-hmm. themselves are crippled by um, accusations and by condemnation. That's why it says there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. And that's yet another thing that I'm so grateful that the, the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Amen. And another aspect of that, when you were sharing that, it popped into my mind is that how often do we accuse one another? Mm-hmm. What spirit is that of? Right. Right. <laughs> we right. need to Absolutely. guard against that because we are being used by the enemy. Mm-hmm. That's that pride or flesh or whatever pointing the finger at someone else. When we're supposed to be interceding like Christ did mm-hmm. through prayer and being ministers to help reconcile and bring healing. Um, to to demonstrate God's love. And so often we are the ones the enemy uses to get in the way of what God is doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We need to be wary of those things and Beautiful give. Application, uh, you know, even of such a historical thing that took place so many centuries ago, mm-hmm. but the applications are still so appropriate even mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And praise, praise God, his grace abounds forever, and so does his love. It says that love covers a multitude of sins. So, you know, we just come back to loving as Christ loves and not thinking too highly of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, then we can hear him and walk in his ways. Right. Well, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing, Lalitha, and thank you, ladies, for joining us. We pray that this, uh, this walk through the book of Acts is continuing to be a blessing to you. Uh, a challenge and an encouragement. Um, we're all in this place of growth and in the times of our lives where we have struggles, challenges, and we know each day has its own, right? <laughs> that that the Lord is there to teach us and train us up. And one step at a way, we are being made into his image and likeness and we can continue to trust in him, hold on to him, and uh, and then walk in love as he's called us to do. So we pray that you would have a blessed week. And we look forward to next time uh, when we look at chapter 26. Blessings to you all. Bye.